Good morning, everyone. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. Glad you could be with us today. This hour, we're continuing the conversation around why so many children are having such a hard time learning how to read. In a few minutes, I'm talking with a couple of educators about what's working and what's not when it comes to the various methods of teaching reading in schools. And we will be taking your phone calls as well. But first, we're keeping an eye on this brutal winter weather we are seeing across Minnesota. Extreme cold and blowing snow. Just days before Christmas, lots of people are headed out of town and to the airport. Right now, NPR's Sarah Tamer is joining us live from MSP International Airport. Good morning, Sarah. How's it looking out there right now? Good morning, Angela. Well, I can tell you it's looking a lot better than it did around 7 o'clock this morning when I was speaking with Kathy. Uh, Mm -hmm. Crowds are a little bit smaller, so I think things are moving along. All right. We just heard in a national report about cancellations and delays because uh, about two thirds of the country right now affected by the storm system. So what can you tell us about what airlines uh, are saying about cancellations and delays? Yeah. So I think last time I checked, there were about 57 cancellations. Um, As far as cancellations go, we're probably going to notice that they're just going to happen in real time. Uh, I think a lot of airlines are offering uh, ticket waivers and, and flight changes at no cost. So the best thing for people to do is to just go online, call ahead and, you know, just make sure that you're staying prepared because the Mm -hmm. last thing you want to do is get here and then find out that your flight is canceled. And Sarah, you're indoors. What are you seeing in terms of the lines uh, for the checkpoint and and at the various uh, airlines? How are the lines looking? Yes. So uh, I want to say about an hour ago, I was walking around Terminal 1 just chatting with people. Uh, Security line was very long like I said, about an hour ago. But looking at it right now, it's about less than 10 minutes. I'm reading the sign Mm. to get through um, the general security line. So it's looking so much better. If you're on your way to the airport right now, uh, it's looking way better than it did just a couple hours ago. And then for TSA pre-check, it's also less than 30 minutes to get through that security line. So I want to say airport staff is doing such an incredible job of sort of guiding people and answering questions. We're moving along and yeah, everybody's just working really hard and people are just trying to catch their flights home. And the travelers there in line, have you been able to talk to some people? What are they saying about uh, just driving to the airport, getting there this morning or, or their thoughts about uh, being able to make it to their destinations? Yeah, so I think if anybody got in their car and drove this morning, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The roads were really icy, and that's exactly what I'm hearing from people that I spoke to this morning. Uh, Some people even drove last night and left their car, uh, stayed at a hotel, took the shuttle here this morning. Probably very smart to do that, uh, considering what the roads looked like this morning. Um, But yes, I think uh, even for folks who were driving in from Rochester, uh, sort of did the same thing, just came in last night to avoid the mess this morning. And uh, I can just report, uh, you know, about my drive this morning through St. Paul and what one of my producers also saw, you know, we came in on 35E and uh, saw a couple of cars in ditches. You know, it looks like they were probably, maybe Mm -hmm. they slid into the snowbanks. So maybe, you know, um, the entrance and exits ramps going a little too fast because it is so cold, it makes it icy out there. Uh, How was your drive in this morning? Yeah, same thing. Uh, I, I like to consider myself a, a slow and careful driver, so I, 
I was going uh, pretty slow. But you're right, Angela. There were a lot of people who were passing me by driving really fast. So just a, mm-hmm. a good reminder for folks to really take it easy and, um, you know, just be careful and, and also consider others on the road as well. And as we look ahead to the afternoon, uh, we know that the meteorologists, the forecast is showing that those wind gusts are going to pick up and that low visibility, that lifting up uh, of snow off the ground, the wind whipping it up uh, and, and the snow drifts, very dangerous driving conditions. So keep that in mind as you drive. And people who will be flying out of the airport uh, maybe tonight or tomorrow, what's the advice about, um, you know, getting their schedules changed or flights changed? Or, or are you hearing any advice on that? Yeah, I think the the key word is being prepared. Uh, again, check your flight status online before you get here. Mm-hmm. Uh, call ahead. Um, you know, check on weather conditions as well. If you are able to change your flight, maybe that's a good idea too. But you just can never give yourself uh, too much time. I think staying within that two to three hour window is really the advice that I'm hearing right now from airport officials. All right. So yeah, just mm-hmm. being prepared. All right, that's NPR's Sarah Tamer at. MSP International Airport. All right. Thank you, Sarah. Be safe. Thanks, Angela. Reminder, we do have a team of reporters and photojournalists around the state keeping an eye on the weather and the conditions as they change. So look for the latest updates on the forecast and how people are faring on our website. Go to nprnews.org at any time or stream us live. We'll be there for you as you make decisions about your plans. So today we want to talk about why so many children have a hard time learning to read. Across the United States, one in three students cannot read at grade level. That's true here in Minnesota, too. Now, earlier this month, my colleague, education reporter Emily Hanford from American Public Media, joined me on the show to talk about her investigative podcast. It's called Sold a Story, How Teaching Kids to Read Went So Wrong. Her reporting explains how a popular and widespread way of teaching reading to young children leaves many kids unable to decode letter combinations and words on a page. Here's a clip from Emily from the podcast after she attends an education conference and sits in on a session on how kids are being taught with some of these questionable approaches. Listen. At this moment, I realize something. I realize that the people in this room have bought into a definition of reading that isn't really reading. They've bought the idea that reading is making meaning from a story using whatever strategies you can think of. You can look at the pictures. You can look at parts of the words. You can think about what would make sense. They've bought into the cueing idea, the idea that a child can read a book without being able to read the words. That's education reporter Emily Hanford. Now, research on how kids actually learn to read has been clear for a long time to cognitive scientists, but it's been very slow to trickle into classrooms. We're going to talk about this with some Minnesota educators in just a minute. But first, listen to another excerpt from this investigative podcast. We'll hear from two teachers who express regret over how they taught reading using methods that don't work well. No one wants to be told that what they're doing is wrong or that you've harmed kids. Like, that's a really, it's terrible to feel. This is Sarah Gannon. She's a teacher you met in episode three. She trusted Fountason Pinnell and Lucy Calkins. I trusted that they're experts. I trusted that this is the way you teach reading. She believed in the queuing and the leveled books. 
The first time she encountered criticism of that approach was in 2019, after one of my articles came out. Teacher friends were like, did you read this, Emily Hanford? And I was like, I read it. (laughs) And we were like, what is she talking about? She was outraged because a journalist was questioning the way she taught reading. And then her daughter, Maeve. Maeve wasn't learning how to read. Sarah tried to teach her, but it wasn't working. So Sarah went looking for answers and discovered the research. I changed because I had to. There was no choice. I couldn't ignore it. I couldn't keep doing what I was doing with Maeve. The same thing happened to Carrie Chi. She was one of the Lucy Calkins fans you met in an earlier episode, the one who didn't like George Bush. One day, when Carrie's daughter was in elementary school, she came to her mother and she said, I have something to tell you. My child looked at me and she was really nervous and anxious and she just says, I can't read. The school hadn't said there was a problem. Carrie hadn't noticed a problem either. But her daughter knew. She knew. They know. You know, the kids know first, the parents know second, the teacher chimes in third, and then, you know, the hunt is on for help. Some kids try to keep it a secret when they're struggling. They can look like they're reading for a while. But as the words get longer and the pictures go away, it all kind of falls apart. Carrie Chi was a seventh-grade English teacher before she had her daughter. She says she always had struggling readers in her class, a lot of them. And the only thing she knew to do was to try to find them books about things they were interested in. And I just kept saying, well, keep trying. And then when they couldn't, I just thought they didn't want to try. And what I'm haunted by is when it wasn't working, I blamed it on children. Carrie Chi isn't sure she would have learned anything about the science of reading if it weren't for her experience with her own child. Sarah Gannon, too. If everything had been fine with her daughter, she thinks she might still be dismissing all of this science of reading stuff. I don't know if I could be convinced, and that's what worries me. You know, I have good friends who are very smart, incredibly talented educators who it's just like hold fast to old beliefs. And I think, I honestly, I think I would be one of them, you know? But I guess you have to say, like, it's okay to be wrong. Like, I was wrong. That's an excerpt from the APM investigative podcast, Sold a Story. Now, as we talk with two guests right now about how to teach kids to read, I want to hear from you, too. We're taking phone calls. Are you a parent whose child is having a hard time reading? What have you noticed? What is helping? If you are a teacher, what are you seeing in your classroom when it comes to children's reading abilities? What do you want people to know about how children learn to read? You can call us at 651 651- Two two seven six thousand. Again, that number is six five one two two seven six thousand, or call eight hundred two four two twenty eight twenty eight. You can also leave me a message on Twitter. I'm at Angela Davis NPR. Joining me now, I have Katie Pakel on the line. Katie is a former edu- a former English teacher and a former elementary and middle school principal in southeastern Minnesota. She's now executive director of educational leadership at the University of Minnesota. And that's where she heads up the Minnesota Principals Academy and other programs to train and inform school system leaders. So glad you could be with us, Katie. Good morning. 
Good morning. Thanks for having me, Angela. Also on the line, we have Athena Goff. Athena is a literacy teacher at Phelan Lake Mung Studies Magnet School in St. Paul Public Schools. And she teaches reading in small groups to kindergarten through third grade students as part of an intensive program that the district rolled out just in 2021 uh, uh, to improve literacy instruction. Athena, so glad you have time to talk with us today as well. Hi, thanks for having me. Good morning. So, Athena, I want to start with you. Um, You've been a teacher for 25 years, including 15 years in St. Paul. You've been a literacy coach and a teacher trainer. So looking back, um, do you feel that some of what the teachers in that podcast expressed, what we just heard, we heard regret over the way that they used to teach reading. Um, Have you seen that? Um, I listened to the the entire series and I was shocked. Um, I was disappointed, um, but some of my experiences were very different. Um, in St. Paul, for the past fifteen years, we've had an explicit phonics curriculum and even a designated skills block. And so, teaching phonics is not new. Um, I know I, I heard in your um, your pre start here to the show that pre recorded um, excerpt and sold sold. Uh, in a story or sold a story, they referenced the cueing method. And one thing specifically that was really different about my training and my experience with the cueing method was when teaching the visual, when teaching kids to use the visual of a word, looking all the way through the word letter by letter and saying the sounds, blending the sounds was really prevalent in my training. Um, with all that being said, um, what we're doing now in St. Paul with the science of reading is very different in small groups. So I think that I just want to pause you there. Explain phonics. You said that St. Paul Public Schools has used phonics for a while. What is phonics? So phonics is, uh, is the instruction of a letter sound correspondence. So it's teaching kids the short A says A ah, and when to use it and how to use it. So sounding, sounding it out. Exactly. Sounding out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's when I say curriculum, I mean, we have like we for 15 years and and even now um, we have a new curriculum, but um, that aligns more closely with the science of reading. But it it followed a scope and sequence. Mm -hmm. And and so how were you taught to teach reading? You know, the the podcast really chronicles my last 25 years. I student taught in Australia. Um, and so when I heard about whole language and whole word teaching, um, I remember that. I remember teaching kids how to memorize words. And I remember using flashcards. And, and, and I could go on for 20 minutes, but literally it was that, that, that whole series chronicled my experience. The big difference, like I said, is um, as an educator, as a seasoned educator, I knew in my heart that teaching kids how to decode is really teaching them how to read. So I have been um, putting that in my practice and even how it, sitting in the trainings for the, the three cueing method, receiving that training in a little different way. I, I never had kids look at the first letter, check the picture and just make a guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so so you, you support yeah. the, the sounding out the sounds and the letters. You've seen that be effective. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. And now the focus in our small group reading instruction with all of our new learning of the science of um, reading, it's really a foundation skills focus. 
And that comprises of many different things as phonological awareness and phonemic awareness and explicit phonics instruction. And then the application of that where kids are reading decodable text and they're reading decodable passages where they're practicing that phonics skill that was just taught um, and applying it and then writing um, the words from that same phonics skill. And then not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but still um, talking about text and getting kids to talk about the books that they're reading, even though they're, they're different. They're not leveled books. Mm-hmm. They're, they're decodable readers. And uh, um, we'll talk more about what's happening in St. Paul Public Schools Athena. But first, I want to bring Katie into this. And Katie, as you listen to, uh, you know, parts of this podcast and this debate and uh, the experiences teachers are sharing about the difference between using, um, you know, cues and, and, and photos and images to help a, a child learn a word compared to sounding it out with phonics. What, what are your thoughts about the two different ways? Well, Angela, I would just start by saying you mentioned at the outset that my career started as a high school English teacher. Um, I have the equivalent of two master's degrees and a doctorate from the University of Minnesota, and I was never required to take a reading course. So I think what we have are a lot of educators and educational leaders through no fault of their own, um, just did whatever was sort of offered to them in the school buildings that they worked in. Mm -hmm. And unlike what Athena just shared, where Um, St. Paul has had a solid phonics curriculum for 15 years. That is not the case in most districts across the state of Minnesota. As a matter of fact, when I was an elementary school principal, um, we had a balanced literacy approach in the building that I led. What does that mean, balanced literacy? It it was basically the transition from whole language um, to uh, a, a keeping of those ideas where really kids would just sort of get reading if they were surrounded with good books and comfortable places to read, sort of as Emily describes in the podcast, with a little bit of phonics, but not what Athena described, which is um, an explicit and systematic approach to teaching phonics. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I hear you say they would they would just get reading, so yeah. <laughs> meaning the, using the pictures on the page or, or just from just memorization? Yeah, so I think that what... Um, is is easiest for folks to understand is we, in the idea of whole language, it was sort of, if we just immerse kids um, in good literacy um, environments, they would get rating. Sort of like if you immerse kids in a second language, right? We have, Mm -hmm. you know, language immersion schools, that they would eventually just get how to read. And that isn't the case. In fact, we know from um, the National Reading Panel's research dating back to 2000, that those five pillars, phonemic awareness, phonics, fluency, vocabulary, and comprehension, all have to be present in literacy instruction. So Katie, what is your thought about why this, you know, idea, um, maybe some would call the wrong idea about how kids learn how to read? Why did it stick around? Why has it stuck around for so long? Uh, Well, I think as Athena mentioned, um, and, and as we heard in the podcast, um, once we have an idea, we don't like to let go of it. Um, in, in addition to that, um, most educators get their information about how to teach kids or, or what to teach kids from curriculum companies once they're in mm-hmm. um, service. So I think that, um, again, the, as Emily makes really good point to do in her podcast, um, we shouldn't be blaming the teachers, right? Um, they were really following what they were taught to do and um, what the curricular materials encouraged them to do. But they were, once they were hired into a school district, they were shown this is the way we do it in many cases. 
Yeah. And in many cases, they were even shown that in their teacher education Mm -hmm. programs. I want to take some phone calls uh, as we revisit this topic of why so many kids are having a hard time learning how to read. And if you're a parent whose child is is really having a hard time, what have you noticed and what have you found helps? If you're a teacher, what are you seeing in your classroom when it comes to children's reading abilities? Call us at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-242. 2828. In Roseville, let's talk to Lori, who's on the line. Good morning, Lori. What do you want to share with us about this? Hi, um, I'm a kindergarten teacher in Roseville, and Mm -hmm. I'm so excited that you're bringing this to light. Um, I um, have been teaching over 20 years, and um, like some of your guests mentioned, was trained in the balanced literacy approach. And, um, and that's how we were, that's how we were trained. Um, And tell me what that is again, the balanced literacy approach. The balanced literacy approach is what one of your guests talked about, surround kids by good books and memorize sight words, and Mm -hmm. they will learn how to read. And in a really quick nutshell, it's kind of um, at the younger grades, like kindergarten and first, it's almost like you taught them how to look like a reader, but you weren't Mm -hmm. really teaching them that explicit phonics that makes them decode words. And as a mom, it really hit me hard. My oldest daughter is dyslexic. And she's 32 now, and I wish so badly I would have known then what I knew now because she wouldn't have gone through the struggles that she did. So um, she was taught in the balanced literacy way, which, again, was a lot of guessing. You know, at the really young grades, you would look at a, a word, and they you would encourage them, look at the first letter, and then if you, you know, if you can't figure it out, look at the picture. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not that's not really reading. That's so, Lori, you're a kindergarten teacher now in Roseville. What's happening in your classroom as you work with your students to teach them how to read? What are you doing? So it's changed dramatically. Um, I'm in letters training through um, Minnesota. Luckily, has um, made a big push for this training. And letters training is based on the science of reading. So it's kind of getting back to the basics, talking about using phonics, using them, um, teaching those letters explicitly and decoding. So I started this training, I'm in my second year, and I made drastic changes into how I was teaching in my classroom. I kind of got rid of my guided reading books, where those and those books were very predictable in kindergarten. Mm-hmm. So it was like, I see dad, and the next page was, I see a balloon. So mm-hmm. they could look at the balloon on the page and say it, but a kindergartner can't sound out balloon. They don't know the double O, um, uh, you know, the phonetic mm-hmm. piece. Mm-hmm. So putting phonics in now, we're explicitly starting with sounds, which kindergarten has always done. But now they're explicitly teaching the sounds and then giving kids decodable text where they're practicing that and reading. And I've seen a dramatic change in my students. Um, Last year, I started to see the change. And this year, it's a dramatic change. It's just December. And all my kids, even my kids that came in with zero letters and sounds, have all of their sounds now and are starting to decode. That's wonderful. And just this this first part of the school year. Uh, that's Laurie from Roseville, a kindergarten teacher. Thank you for calling, Laurie. Let's take another phone call as we talk about uh, why so many young children are having a hard time learning how to read. In Minneapolis, we have Daisy on the line. And Daisy, what can you share about reading? Hi. Um, so my son is in third grade in Minneapolis public schools. Um, We had conferences in the fall. Everything was great. I assumed things were fine. Um, And then one day he told me he doesn't know how to read. Um, Mm -hmm. And then a few days later, I heard the ad on NPR for Soul the Story. I was like, oh, I should listen to that. So I did. Um, I graduated. I was the first graduating class of a school called um, Fair School. At the time, it was an interdistrict downtown school. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and the learning model really resembles Percy Cockins' model. Like these great little pods for learning, and you know, kids will just learn. And um, I really struggled in college. Have you told to, Have you told the yeah. teacher or the school leaders that your son, who's in third grade, has said to you that he cannot read? Did you report this back? And what did they say? Yeah, so I listened to the podcast and emailed the teacher with very specific bullet points. Mm-hmm. And I got um, a paragraph response that kind of glazed over some of the questions. Then they told me he's at a benchmark level P, which is where he should be at the end of third grade. He's doing fine, but he's struggling. So I got this really mixed message. And I think really where he's struggling is writing. Um, and I'm kind of at a point where I, just, I don't know what to do because they're telling me he's doing fine. But then they're telling me he's not doing fine, and he's telling me he's not doing fine. Or and, he's, and Daisy, I'm guessing he certainly doesn't feel good about that. He's aware that he is is not doing well. He's yeah, he's the one that told me, um, right. you know. So it wasn't like magic. And I think my son has a really good teacher. I do. I think she is. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's not a bad teacher, and I think he's at a good school with people that really care about education. I just think, like a lot of people were saying, is kind of learn from these publishing houses, unfortunately, and not from, uh, you know, institutions. Or or the science. Daisy, stay on the line. I I want both of our guests to respond to what you've described. And Daisy, you said your son's in the third grade. He told you, I cannot read. How old is he? Is he eight or nine? He's eight years old. Eight years old. Um, So to our guests, first, Athena, you're a literacy teacher. Uh, What would you say to Daisy about what she's experiencing right now as a parent? Yeah, I think you did the right thing in reaching out with an email to the teacher. Um, It sounds like more of a conversation needs to happen as well, because things I'm wondering are, are, is the classroom teacher, um, do they have an explicit um, phonics or skills um, teaching time during the day, and is your son getting that support in small group reading? Because um, they may have a, a phonics curriculum, or they may have time during the day where they do word work, but unless he's receiving immediate feedback in a small group with what he needs now, when, what I need now, um, he's not going to progress like he could. I also heard you mention something about um, his real his his biggest struggle is writing. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing you can do as a parent is make sure he can segment words, make sure he can say the sounds in words. So, for instance, um, I play this game in the car with my daughter. It's called guess my word or what word. I'm going to say the sounds in a word, and you're going to guess my word, and then I say the sounds. I segment like the word frog. I say frog what word? And my daughter guesses the word. And then we switch where she's segmenting words and segmenting sounds and words. And I'm guessing the word. And if you can get to a place where your your son can segment um, words that have four five and six sounds, that can help him in his writing. When he goes to pen and pen in hand and pen on paper, he starts to say the sounds and segment the sounds he may be able to hear them in a different way and may be able to write more successfully. Mm. Thank you, Athena. And Katie, uh, Daisy again, uh, third grade son, uh, eight years old. He says he cannot read. The um, teacher is telling Daisy um, he's pretty much on track, uh, that that she doesn't see a big problem there. What advice would you give her? 
Um, well, I would echo what Athena said is um, a, a further conversation probably needs to happen. And I would actually elevate that conversation to the school principal. Um, as Athena mentioned, the the teacher, and, and as the caller mentioned, she feels that her teacher is a good teacher. And that oftentimes means that that they really care about kids and they're really well-intentioned. Mm-hmm. But does the teacher have the resources and the training that 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 person that she needs to be able to help a struggling reader? And that's really where we're at right now in Minnesota. And the caller we had in from Roseville mentioned the letters training, mm-hmm. which stands for Language Essentials for Teachers of Reading and Spelling. And the state of Minnesota has invested $3 million in our last legislative session. We currently have about 2,300 teachers going through that training. Um, the Minnesota Department of Education, um, I think, is actually doing a really good job here. They're really making sure that we get the training that teachers need. So back to the caller and her third grade son, I think that needs to be elevated to the principal. And I think um, really to say, what else is available for my child? As Athena mentioned, are there some intervention small group readings that he could be a part of. Um, because unfortunately, we know if kids don't learn to read by third grade, um, they will not catch up. That's a critical grade level, third grade, the reading level, level at third grade, correct? Correct. If kids, right. again, from the research, if kids can't read fluently by third grade, um, they will, they'll never be a fluent reader. I have another guest I can bring to the conversation for a few minutes here. We've got Catherine Campbell on the line. Catherine is the Director of Literacy Partnerships at Groves Learning Organization, which is in St. Louis Park. Her program provides literacy instruction training in 73 public and private elementary schools across the Twin Cities using a very phonics-rich approach. And Catherine, good morning to you. Good morning, Angela. Thank you for including me in this conversation. Yeah, it's complicated. It's a whole lot. But what have you seen? You know, what do you see as wrong with the way that many schools have been teaching reading to young children for a very long time? Well, I agree with what both Katie and Athena have um, talked about and described with balanced literacy and whole language. And, um, you know, whole language really was if you bring enough rich literature into your classroom, children will just learn to read almost through osmosis. And then balanced literacy does bring in that phonics component, but it's embedded in the curriculum. So a great example is in early first grade, if the comprehension story for the week or the day is about a boat, then the mini lesson in phonics is going to be that OA says the long vowel sound of O. But when you start to think about when a child should be learning that concept, long O can be spelled four or five different ways. And so if OA is the first sound that they're learning um, or the first way to spell Mm -hmm. the long sound of O, but they've also experienced, for example, OW and OE and potentially O consonant E, it becomes very confusing. So in this new science of reading kind of model that we're all trying to forge forward with, we teach it very explicitly and we teach one concept at a time. And each new reading or spelling concept builds on what the child has already learned in phonics. Now, you use an approach um, that was first developed at Groves Academy. And again, that's a a private school in St. Louis Park uh, that enrolls students with learning disabilities like dyslexia. How is this approach different from um, what we've been talking about, the, the balanced literacy? What makes it unique? What makes our program unique, and you're right, we 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 have been basing our um, reading instruction at Groves Academy 
um, for years on what we currently call the science of reading. It's explicit instruction in phonics, but also um, some other of the five cons uh, the five components of reading that Katie mentioned is identified in 2000 by the Na National Reading Panel. And what we did when we went into Groves Literacy Partnerships is we changed what we were doing to meet the needs of typical learners, but it's still based on the same methodology that we follow when we talk about uh, structured literacy or the science of reading. So Catherine, since we're on the radio, um, can you give me a, a, a lesson? Let's maybe do a demonstration. Can you maybe teach me to read a new word? Can you pick a word and, 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 and demonstrate how you would teach a child to read a new word? Yes, I'd love to. So imagine that you're a first grade reader. You're halfway through first grade now. And um, the curriculum that we use in Groves Literacy Partnerships does follow those foundational skills that Athena mentioned. And it's based on the Minnesota academic standards. So imagine you're a first grader, you've learned your short vowels, you've mastered them. And so now I'm going, as a teacher, going to introduce to you your first long vowel concept. And so um, in first grade, rather than me writing on the board, I'm going to use three-dimensional letter cards so that my students can actually see me build words. And the first word I might build would be time, T-I-M-E. Mm -hmm. And I'd put that word up there and I'd say to you, do you see this E at the end? Um, this E is silent. It's not going to say anything, but its job is to tell that other vowel, the I, to say its name instead of its sound. And so, and we use what's called tapping, which segments individual sounds in a word to read the word. So we'd read that word together. And then I put that word away and I might put up um, another word like stove. And I put that up and I'd say to you, what is E gonna say? And you're gonna tell me, it's not gonna say anything. And I'm gonna say, well, what does the O say? And you're gonna tell me that it's gonna say it's long sound. And I'm, we're just, mm. we're gonna practice three or four or five words like that very explicitly of tell me why, tell me why, tell me the rule, tell me how you know that O is saying its name. So that the students are using their metacognition, which is their kind of working memory and, and un, deep understanding of how that, uh, how to apply that rule. So breaking the word down and giving the, the letters um, roles and just, again, recognizing that this could, could change depending on how, you know, what the word is. Uh, so Grove, right. Grove, Grove started training other um, teachers, so both private and public school teachers back in 2016. So what kind of training is happening and how much interest are you seeing uh, amongst uh, particularly public school districts in getting this training? Um, we start, we did, you're right, we started in 2016. And when we go into, uh, when we partner with a school, we bring teacher professional learning in. Um, we also bring a curriculum in that's based on the science of reading. And then we also ask them for data collection. We ask them to collect data three times a year using kind of a quick standardized test, but also look at the um, performance of each student as they're doing a unit. Oh, I think we 
Okay, I can't hear Catherine there, but I think we've lost her there. But we were talking just with Catherine Campbell, who is the director of literacy partnerships there at Groves Learning Organization based in St. Louis Park. And she was describing some of the training that they're now doing with both private and public school districts around the state. Her program uh, provides literacy instruction in 73 elementary schools across the Twin Cities. Um, let's take some phone calls because they're starting to really pile up here as we talk about why kids are having a hard time learning how to read in Minneapolis. We've got Carlin on the line. Carlin, thank you for waiting and what did you want to share with us uh, about reading and learning how to read hi uh, i was a middle school teacher in minneapolis public schools for six years and i taught english language arts mm-hmm. um, my school was a title one school i taught predominantly black latino and indigenous students many of whom spoke languages other than english at home and i really believe that not to now and other similar programs were not properly audited in minneapolis because of educator bias um, be that racial bias, class bias, or linguistic bias, um, that were all leveled against students and families to say, well, maybe the reason that they're not able to read is because they're uh, they're still learning English or because of their home lives or because of poverty. And so it really um, put students and families in this like deficit sort of lens um, to the educators and to the school institutions. And I think that that allowed this program to continue to exist in schools without being properly questioned. Mm, and we know we have uh, a lot of racial disparities in education. And so you saw that. Absolutely. And I think that the uh, the statistic you uh, pointed out at the beginning of the episode of one in three students not being able to read, it's absolutely higher than that in yes. um, communities of color. Um, and I think that that's definitely part of why this program has been able to continue to persist, even though it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's uh, Carlin calling in from Minneapolis. And, and I can revisit, you know, I, I love to keep my stats close. Uh, when we spoke with uh, education reporter Emily Hanford about her uh, investigative podcast or investigation, she did share a couple of shocking statistics. First, again, that one in three children are poor readers. Uh, that is just really stunning across the nation, also here in Minnesota. And then she also noted that when it comes to black children, more than eight in 10 children cannot read at a basic level, eight in 10, not reading at their grade level. And uh, Athena, what can you tell us about that? What have you seen and what is the impact of that? Um, it, yeah, it is alarming. I've, um, I think for the last um, 14 years, I've taught at schools that um, had 100% kids of color, um, near 100% poverty. Um, and um, I, I've been shocked over the years and yet I've not given up. Um, I've kept doing what I can do and, and doing what's right in my heart and believing in my students. Um, and now in the last, since last year with our new training of the, the science of reading, I'm really seeing a difference in how my students are really reading. They're like, I get goosebumps just thinking about how, um, my one little second grade group who, um, I guess was memorizing books last year and I, I mm-hmm. wasn't even really aware of it. Um, they were reading leveled books mm-hmm. um, where less than 50% of the words are decodable. Um, like um, the kindergarten teacher was describing and now we're reading decodable books and this little second grade group, we went from e- reading a pretty easy decodable book, a couple sentences per page to a book that had 31 pages and, Um, they're all reading individually at their own time and they read, 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 and I'm leaning in and I'm listening and they all kind of come to the end of the book at the same time. And simultaneously, the whole group 
burst out in clapping and cheers because they're so proud of their reading. Mm-hmm. So I, I am seeing progress, and I'm hopeful, and I believe in my students. And uh, Katie, uh, Katie Bakel, tell me about the conversations that you're a part of right now when we look at the racial disparities in education, particularly as we look at reading levels. Well, as I would describe it, literacy is a social justice issue. And um, the approaches that Athena just described in the classroom is what we need to see, but on a much, much broader scale, right? So um, at the University of Minnesota, we have the Center for Applied Research and Educational Improvement, and we're actually one of 19 federally funded what's called comprehensive centers. So we provide uh, technical assistance to the Department of Education. And this is one of the areas in which we're doing it. So we're really helping school districts across the state of Minnesota to understand how does the science of reading intersect with and part of what's called a um, MTSS model, multi-tiered systems of support. So in the state of Minnesota, um, we have standards, as one of the callers mentioned, um, but we also have the second component, which is what's the curriculum that we're going to use. And so the base curriculum needs to reach all kids. And in Minnesota, we've actually been trying to intervene our way out of that problem by putting in supplemental curriculums. And so I think that the, the, the description of, that Athena just gave of how to teach kids is exactly what we need to be seeing. And it's not widespread. Let's take another phone call as we talk about um, children having a hard time learning how to read. In St. Paul, Susan is on the phone. Susan, what do you want to say? I wanted to say, first of all, thank you, Angela, for all that you've educated me on. I'm a teacher and I'm in that room every day. Thanks for this conversation. Um, it is a social justice issue, and I'm a high school teacher, and I have students who don't know how to read. And I have um, teenage sons whose friends do not know how to read, and um, that comes down to race and class. Susan, um, I'm going to stop you there. I want, I want to stop you. What You have high school students. I, I wanted students. to talk about the Wilson reading method, Catherine Cal- Campbell, I, out of Groves. I want a description. Groves. I want a description. When you say a high school student who cannot read, what, what do you mean? Oh. It's like greatly behind? It is a high school student who phonetically cannot decode words. And um, they have been sort of passed through through techniques of memorization, techniques of deep listening to the teacher as they go through books. Um, And, you know, to know what that's going to mean for a student who's graduating high school in two years Mm. is um, a terrible feeling as a high school teacher. And so, um, and for the student, the self-esteem issues too, right? There's the shame. It it has taken probably two months before they can trust me and the method because of all of the self-esteem issues. Um, And I have to meet one-on-one in sort of a private space. Mm -hmm. This is not somewhere like you're meeting in the media center or library. Um, But the, the Groves Academy, I reached out to them several years ago Mm -hmm. and um, it's called the Wilson Reading Method. Okay. It is it. The materials really are so formulaic. I'm just a teacher, but the materials are wonderful, and they are not um, primary school materials. So it doesn't. You don't have like A as an apple um, for a, a 17 year old. You know, it is um, phonetic based. It's all on the science of reading, and it leads them through the same phonetic um, learning in seven or eight different methods. Okay. And so it, it has, it's I worked. just wanted to reach out with it's that not. resource for okay. anyone who does that. 
Who needs help? All right, Susan in St. Paul. And uh, we do have Catherine Campbell now back with us. Uh, we connected there at Groves, uh, um, talking about the, the uh, partnerships there at Groves. And, and Catherine, um, what can you say about that, that spreading um, and doing more training with other school districts in, in literacy? And again, I'm just struck high school students struggling to learn how to read. Yeah, and our focus really is on kindergarten through third grade um, readers right now, although our program is expanding and we are um, uh, publishing curriculum for those older students that need intervention. Um, When we started um, Groves Literacy Partnerships in 2016, we had a decision to make and really where could we have the most impact is it in an intervention program or is it in a prevention program? So we started with prevention in kindergarten through third grade when children learn to read to help them become fluent readers before they transition to that reading to learn where they're reading textbooks, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And and several principals have said to me, Catherine, your program is so great for our kindergarten through third grade teachers and students, but what happens when we get third grade students in that that have missed this program. Mm. And, and as a result, we've now um, published a an intervention program for children fourth grade and up. Or older. Okay, we just have two minutes left in the program, so I want to get back to Athena and Katie. Athena, in our closing thoughts, what do you think would um, greatly help moving forward? What do you want people to know about what could help more kids learn how to read at their grade level? Yeah, I think um, like we have all talked about a real focus on both phonemic awareness and letter sound um, instruction with phonics is is the key. And teachers need um, decodable text. They need decodable passages and they need to decodable text. They need access to those. I have those as a WIN teacher this year. And I, I'm hoping that classroom teachers will be getting those soon. But for way too long we've used level readers and we need to get away from that so you need tools you need the the books and and uh to help you do the work okay and katie did just have a minute left here what uh, what policies or what could happen that to remove some of these barriers so that we get this work done we need a significant scale up in the training of teachers uh Mm -hmm. and we already had a three million dollar investment last session as we sit on over $17 billion going into this session, I think we're going to see that investment. We need to support teachers and make sure they have the skills to use those decodable texts and the resources. Mm. Well, we will continue this conversation um, because uh, we need everyone to be um, able to read and to have confidence uh, so, they, so that we can all, you know, be able to communicate better and, um, and, and live better lives. I, I so appreciate their guests and the work that you're doing and all our listeners who share their stories. We've been talking with Athena Goff, who's in her 25th year of teaching, is a literacy teacher there at Phelan Lake Mung Studies Magnet School in St. Paul Public Schools. Katie Pacal, a former teacher and principal, now executive director of educational leadership at the University of Minnesota. And then earlier, we were also uh, talking with Catherine Campbell there, a formal special education teacher and director of literacy partnership at Groves Learning Organization. Thank you to our guests. Thank you to our listeners. Be careful in the snow and the weather. Stay with NPR News. We'll keep you updated. We'll talk again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.